Before we begin, this podcast is presented by Monkey Knife Fight. Your first deposit comes with a deposit bonus from our friends at 3PS Magazine. Once again, put in the code 3PSMAG, that's the number 3PSMAG, at monkeyknifefight.com. That's monkey knife fight. M-O-N-K-E-Y-K-N-I-F-E-F-I-G-H-T dot com. With your first deposit with the code 3PSMAG, get your deposit back. Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. Now, this guest that we have for this week is a dual Penn State and Vikings fan. Definitely a needle in a haystack, as I must say. And, of course, how I shall introduce him is this way. Um... He went up to Huey Lewis one day and said, dude, you got to change the name of that song to Heart and Skull. Mike Zimmer approached his ears one day and whispered into them, dad, want to be our manager? He is the one and only JB, also known as at Mike Zimmer's ears. Good morning, football knows him very well. Bill, just like last time, good evening, football. Good evening, JB. Hey, what's up, Tom? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good to have you back on the show. As far as that, as as far as that goes, uh, the last show that we did with him back in December actually has become the most viewed show on the network with 150 views up to today. So very interesting to see that one take off. And of course, he's excited for this. As I told him before, this will kind of be like a Kevin and Michael show from the office. <laughs> yeah, Kevin and Michael, there you go. <laughs> so I got six phone number or numbers at this last party one more and i have a full phone number <laughs> very nice yeah definitely. with that being said i kind of gave the 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 scoop on the on your promotions and stuff like that at what you do first tell us about the uh, heart and skull podcast that you've started up well that um last year i hooked on with Jim Jacks Media, and we, we started a pod, and uh, we decided to kind of change the format a little bit this year. So we went out, and we found a co-host, and she's fantastic. Uh, Amory is uh, her name, and she is uh, at part underscore time underscore bro, B-R-O, is her Twitter handle. Uh, she's a stand-up comic in New York City, and awesome. we hit it off right away. So we, we do, it's not just about the Vikings, we talk about around the league, we give you some Vikings history, uh, and then we kind of dig into our own personal lives for a little bit. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like, a, I guess, a, a Kelly and, or, you know, Kelly and whoever her co-host is now. Oh, Kelly and Ryan, gotcha. Kelly and Ryan, it's like a Kelly and Ryan with some sports mixed in, I guess is the best way to put it. Good deal, yes. Uh, in fact, this <laughs> that makes me sound old, but I watched that show when it was Regis and Kelly. Yeah, Regis and Kelly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the that was the greatest time of that show, and then of course Kelly decided to take it over. But boy, about the Heart and Skull podcast, you will definitely have a great time listening to that. Also, tell us about our book. That um, now I did exaggerate. Unfortunately, Mike Zimmer didn't approach you about it. But no. um, Dad, want to be our manager? Tell us about that. Well. Actually, this is the second release of it. I wrote this book, gosh, it's like five years, six years ago now. I started it. I got it out, and it was published. It was out for a little while, and then we looked at it, and really wasn't quite the product it should have been. So pulled it, redid it, and reissued it. And it's just a book about a 
guy who wins the lottery and he buys his failing local minor league team. And the first thing he does is he hires his dad to be the manager. And then his dad goes out and finds some guys that he coached when they were playing a teenage ball, pony league ball. And uh, he brings them in to try out for the team. He puts them on the team. And then from there, we just kind of go through a whole season with his father kind of managing a professional team and some guys getting a second chance at uh, at a career in baseball. Definitely good, good stuff. So if you're interested in some of JB's work, you have the Heart and School podcast as well as Dad Want to Be Our Manager, which I honestly thought, and I hadn't really seen much of it, my, my honest thought of that was maybe it was you being the dad and, and it was your kid or something like that asking Dad Want to Be Our Manager. That was what I had originally thought this book was. So Yeah, it's uh, not quite, but uh, it, it kind of starts back when his dad was his manager when, when he was a kid, and it kind of moves, moves forward to... Uh, about 10 years later when his dad kind of manages again and he takes in some of his his old team. Gotcha. So very interesting. Heart and Skull, Dad Want to Be Our Manager from our boy JB. So with that being said, uh, we focus on this Michigan-Penn State matchup. Um, at first I did not realize that you were a Penn State fan, but that doesn't surprise me because you're from Pennsylvania. So good deal. With that being said, the last two years that Michigan and Penn State have played in this matchup, it has been lopsided. Two years ago when Penn State at night, Saquon Barkley ran all over Michigan. Last year, Michigan, Michigan's defense lopsided Penn State. So do we see this trend continuing this season? You know, I, I can't honestly see it happening. I'm not going to say it won't. I think Penn State has a lot of young talent on this team. But you just can't underestimate their performance in a Saturday night whiteout at State College. For whatever reason, they really come to play in those games. Um, like I said, Penn State's their defense, their defense and offense, they have just really talented kids, but they're young yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Michigan's defense in the last few weeks has just been brutal on teams. Uh, you know, but then Penn State really did a good job against Iowa too. So maybe Iowa just doesn't have much of an offense. It's hard to really to really establish that. Uh, I think we're going to see a tight game this time around. Um, I also think you have two of the most overrated coaches in the Big Ten going after each other in this game. Uh, You can ask any Penn State fan that knows me. I am not a big James Franklin guy. I think he's a great recruiter. I don't think he's a great game manager. Uh, I think he makes some decisions that make us shake our heads. And up until last week, he had never defeated a ranked team on the road. Uh, since he's been with Penn State. So the, the win over Iowa was, uh, he broke finally broke into the win column in, in that category. Maybe that'll springboard him, but I don't know. I, I think this team, when it comes down to Franklin having to actually coach in a tight game, I think he chokes. And again, people are not going to want to hear me say that as a Penn State fan, but I just have never seen him out-coach anyone. Gotcha. He has won the he has won the Big Ten Eastern Division, but that's very interesting insights from JB about James Franklin. As for me and Harbaugh, I've been a Harbaugh defender, but I'm starting to lean towards what what the media is thinking, and it's because of the ranked team. I guess you'd call it the ranked team epidemic. Still hasn't beaten a ranked team on the road. This is a great opportunity for Jim Harbaugh. 
As you had said, it was two of the most overrated coaches in the Big Ten Eastern Division. I can certainly see that as D'Antonio has definitely proven his worth, and Day is starting to prove his worth at Ohio State. And of course, Tom, and I will also mention Tom Allen at Indiana. Have you ever seen any team that has come just so close but have never gotten over the hump against yeah, anyone? Indiana, they, they, are, they are that team. They are that you, you always fear playing them, but then at some point it just seems like they break down. They, they, they give you a game for two and a half quarters, and then every, the roof caves in on them. And before you know it, a three-point lead becomes a, a you know a 17-point lead, and, and you're walking away with a win against them. So, yeah, Indiana's that kind of team. They, they'll scare you for a little while, but they just can't seem to finish games out. That's true. And, and on the Michigan side, Michigan's chased a Big Ten head coach in Chris Ash. And they, and they almost chased a second Big Ten coach in Lovey Smith. But, of course, the third quarter of Michigan of Michigan and Illinois may, may very well have saved Lovey Smith's job, and we'll get to that in just a second. But um, this, this is a huge game for both sides, as, of course, we had said, overrated, overrated coaching could mean to a ball game that could, <laughs> that could very well be hyped but could end up overhyped. <laughs> we'll find out eventually. So, uh, of the third quarter for Michigan has not been very friendly, and <laughs> who knows what happens there. Does, is, was the third quarter this past week against Illinois a sign of things to come for the Michigan Wolverines? Boy, you know, you got to wonder. You just have mm-hmm. to wonder. Um, it, the Big Ten, and in college football in general, I mean, it's a lot of ebb and flow. It's a lot of emotion is involved in the game. So it's hard to I don't think there's a trend here. Uh, maybe Illinois just got a little fired up and, and decided that enough was enough. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't put too much behind it. You know, Harbaugh may have just taken his foot off the gas a little too soon too. You don't know. Uh, I really wouldn't worry too much about it. You got to go game by game in the Big Ten. Uh, and it, again, in college football in general, I, I don't see it as being a trend. I, I wouldn't worry about it. Gotcha. Yeah, the uh, as my, my buddy Alex DeWitt had sent me a, a message about the third quarter of Michigan, and it seemed as if that was the problem, and it's, it could be something that they have worked on this past week. But like you had said, game by game, and let's look at last season as well. Ohio State lost by three possessions, if I'm not mistaken, to Purdue. They still won the yeah. Rose Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, an emotional, it's an emotional time. These are kids. We have to remember that. You know, we're looking at 18 to 22-year-old kids for the most part playing this, these games. So emotion factors into it and immaturity factors into it as well. Definitely. So, with that being said, um, Penn State at night scares me. I think it would scare any other Big Ten opponent going to Penn State during the whiteout. What? How does Penn State win this game? Keys to a Penn State victory. I think they have to control the, the football. They have to keep Michigan... Keep Michigan's offense off the field, uh, and that can be done because the Penn State really—they don't have one standout running back. They've got three really good ones that they rotate in and out. Journey Brown, Noah Kane, and uh, Devin Ford are all doing really well. Now the top rusher on that trio is is Kane with like 312 yards, but these guys are just—they all have a different skill set, and they're all really good. Uh, they're all averaging well over four yards a pop, so you got to watch them. Ricky Slade will come in every now and then and, and get some tough yards. Uh, Sean Clifford, another 
James Franklin, quarterback, you know, dual threat, can run the ball. And uh, he, he's actually, I think, the second leading rusher on the team right now with 252 yards. Um, throws the ball pretty well, but we have to remember, these guys are all underclassmen for the most part. You look at oh, Penn State's thanks. skill sets on both sides of the ball, sophomores and freshmen, loaded with sophomores and freshmen. This team could be really scary in a year or two, and they're already six and zero through six games this year. And they they have you know shown explosion on the offensive side of the ball. Not last week. Last week they did what they had to do. They they also showed that they can win a low scoring game as well as they can attract me. I mean, right. the, what they did to Maryland was ridiculous. Maryland had no shot in that game, and that was Maryland coming in with high hopes. And that game was over before it started. Last week was a slugfest. 17-12 uh, to 12 over Iowa at Kinnick at night. That's also another place you just don't want to play at night. And they, they managed to scrap and claw and fight their way to a victory in that game. Uh, it's a, Don't limit your mistakes. Don't make your coach have to make decisions because if he does, you will lose the game. I.e. fourth and two against Ohio State last year. Yeah, I mean, do not let... James Franklin have to make a choice or make a tough call. I'm sorry. He's not good at it. He makes bad decisions all the time. Sometimes he gets away with them, and most times against really good teams, he fails. Very righty. So my keys to a Penn State victory is very similar. Run the ball. Uh, two, years ago at, two years ago at the whiteout, Saquon Barkley ran all over Michigan. If the three-headed monster that you've described can do that again, Michigan may not have a chance. Um, on fourth and two, make a smart decision. <laughs> unlike like last year against Ohio State. Um, if, it, if it means passing the ball, great. If it, if it means finding a hole and running, running fine. But just, just make a smart decision. Or better yet, don't make the game a fourth and two with two minutes or with a minute and a half to play. Plain and simple. And three... Um, three make Michigan's offense more anemic. As 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 I hate to say it, Michigan's offense has been anemic when it really mattered. But with Gaddis staying, uh, with Gaddis going to the field, now they have looked better. Granted, it's been against Rutgers, Iowa, and Illinois, but still the the offense has looked a bit more confident or competent now against those three opponents. So that is my keys to a Penn State win. Michigan, how does Michigan defy the odds and beat Penn State at night? Well, you can't turn the ball over. That's the first thing. (laughs) I mean, I I know it's all simple, and you can say that about any game, but don't turn it over because you are on the road. You give you you know, if those guys smell blood in the water, you're you're cooked. Uh, You also, it's got to be control the ball. Keep those Penn State playmakers off the field. They can't score if they can't get on the field. Uh... And three, I mean, if if your defense shows up like they did against Iowa, Penn State's going to have a tough game. So your defense has to come out, ball out, don't turn the ball over, and um, keep keep Penn State's offensive playmakers off the field. You got to you've got to control the clock. Yeah, good keys. As for me. Um... We're not sure about this third quarter epidemic, I guess. Maybe it is Harbaugh deciding, oh, I think we're just too good for this Illinois team. I'm going to take I'm going to take Charbonnet off the field and rest him for next week. Illinois makes it a one-score game. 
I backtrack on that decision. <laughs> so keep Charbonnet on the field, um, one. Keep Penn State off the field, two. And three, and with these games, and we've talked about emotion quite a bit, I think this could very well be decided in the first quarter. Look at two years ago with Penn State at night, so when Saquon Barkley ran over Michigan in the first quarter, that was a three-score game at half, and everybody everybody in the stadium and at home felt like that was it. So win, win the first quarter. It's 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 very it's it's special to win the game, of course. Yeah, that's you have to win at the end of the fourth quarter. But in this in a game like this, you got to take the lead and you got to hold it. Michigan never took the lead two years ago. So to keep Charbonnet on the field, keep Penn State off the field, win the first quarter <laughs> are my three keys. Come out, yeah. If you come out fast, yeah, that could because Penn State again. This is a young team, mm-hmm. you know. They, you get a little immaturity where they're faced with something they aren't used to. It would be interesting to see if they can bounce back if they did fall behind early. Yes, very true. So with that being said, um, score predictions, how does this game end up in Happy Valley? I'm going to be a homer here okay. because it's a, because it's the, a whiteout game. I well, think I've, seen, I've seen that uh, with um, – with the Nationals, there you're being a homer saying the team that Canada doesn't want. <laughs> the, yeah, the team that Canada doesn't want. That is what I will call the Nationals from now until the end of time. Um, <laughs> I, I think Penn State will score more this week than they did against Iowa just because it's a okay. home game. Okay. I, I'm thinking like a 24-17 Penn State win. I think it's going to be a mm-hmm. one-score game. 24-17 Penn State. Um. My heart says Michigan wins by two scores, but my mind says Penn State wins by three, and it's because of this Penn State. Because Penn State at night, I I don't know why, but it scares me having to go on the road at night with this Harbaugh team that has not won the big game on the road. They've won big games at home, so next week against Notre Dame actually does not scare me, even though it is at night. Penn State on the road, whiteout. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna deem this a prove me wrong game. If you've listened to the podcast before, I've I've deemed different games prove me wrong games. Um, Penn State twenty four, Michigan seven. I this could be a scary night for Michigan, and I hope to God I'm wrong. In fact, if you can, this podcast unfortunately isn't pro- presented on video, but uh, but I will I will say to the people listening to this that on the video. John is looking at what appears to be a dog on my screen, and that's my puppy, Callie, uh, giving me some emotional support while I make that pick. <laughs> Callie can say hi to John B. Hi, JB. <laughs> but, yeah, I, 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 I hope to God I'm wrong, but i got to pick Penn State 24, Michigan 7. I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Again, just remember who who, yeah. who the opposing coach is, and might not. I don't think I don't. If Penn State wins by seventeen or more, I would be very surprised. I'd be very surprised. Gotcha. So, with that being said, Lions Vikings is the is the next is the next game on our discussion. Um, so, like I had said to JB earlier, um, <clears throat> two weeks ago, Adam Thielen called out Kirk Cousins. Last week, Stefan Diggs calls out Kirk Cousins. Is this the week that JB calls out Kirk Cousins and gets 250 yards and three touchdowns? 
I think it. I'm waiting for Kyle Rudolph to call him out. Actually, that's the that's the guy who has been AWOL for the whole season in terms of the offense. But um, it's a weird dynamic in Minnesota, boy. You know, Kirk Kirk going on his podcast and apologizing for what happened, which quite honestly I did not agree with. You don't apologize to your players. You're out there. You you know you're trying to distribute the ball the best you can. Uh, these guys are out there. I know they're they're trying to get open, but. You know, you're not the quarterback. He's doing the best he can. Now, maybe it did spark something in him. Um, maybe we need Zach Brown to get picked up by the Lions this week and say something dumb about Kirk Cousins. <laughs> so he goes out and he throws four touchdowns <laughs> in 30 yards. I, I, I am all for Zach Brown becoming a Lion this week. And, and <laughs> I would pay his way to Detroit. Um, because... I, you know, I watched that game, and, and Cousins was like a different quarterback. I mean, it had started last week against the Giants, but then I'm like, well, it's the Giants. You know, the, the Giants' defense is not that good. Giants were coming off of wins against not really good teams, so people were getting excited. And uh, I, I didn't take too much out of that. But last week against the Eagles, that opened my eyes. Again, though, it was a home game. Being in U.S. Bank is a lot different than playing in Detroit. You're, and the Vikings right now are 0-2 on the road in the division. Uh, they cannot start 0-3 on the road in the division. They can't. Now, you, if they do that, they're they're going to have to get the wild. The only way to make the playoffs is a wild card. If they don't win this week, the only way the Vikings make the playoffs is via the wild card. Uh, I'm convinced of that. So it's a big game for them on the road. I want to see Kirk ball out on the road against a real true test of a defense, not the Giants. Very true. And I, and I will also say that being in a bank is different than being at a car dealership. That's what the Vikings are dealing with this coming week, U.S. Bank yep. versus Ford. Um, the thing, Yeah, the thing is, even though you play 10 games outside your division, it's those six divisional games that end up be making the difference in terms of the whole division. With the Vikings yep. starting 0-2 in the division and Detroit not starting their division play until last week and now we're 0-1, it's a, it's a real chance for Detroit to come back after what was, oh, a terrible Monday night, and we will we will talk about that in just a second. But for, for the Vikings, even though they're 4-2 and and in a better spot in the division right now than Detroit, they're 0-2 in said division. Granted, both games are on the road, but they're getting their road games out of the way right now. So um, Kirk Cousins is going to have a test this week with Detroit's defense, and maybe, and maybe just maybe, and I'm actually going to the game this Sunday, I could see and uh, I could see um I could see a jersey, a uh, Erico number four, out on the uh, out on the field. <laughs> I have I have one with my own name on, but this is a Brett Favre. That's uh, a Brett Favre jersey, but still, I could could see an MZE number four on the field. <laughs> that would be. Oh, I, I I thought about getting an MZE one tonight. I thought better of it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sight to see on the field, definitely. So Cousins definitely has his work cut out for him this week. Now, the conversation that most Tom Green podcast fans have been waiting oh so desperately to hear about was Monday nights. Now. I'll, from of course, from a neutral standpoint, that being you, how did you see this Monday night game? I mean, with with all these these calls, I think the NFC Championship game has really hurt the NFL. 
Uh, the last year's NFC title game has really hurt the NFL. Uh, yeah, that was a blatant pass interference penalty, and the outrage that we heard from the Saints fans, and you know Roger Goodell overreacting to it by putting in all this instant replay and all these challenges on pass interferences. I think officials are scared. They're out there officiating the game scared. Uh, they are overcompensating on calls. They're calling far too much. I'm, I'm watching pass interference, offensive pass interference calls that never were made before. Uh, I, I really think it's hurting the game. I watched that game. I could see one of those being a hands to the face. The last one, really, really touchy to call that. I mean, I watched the replay. I saw still pictures. Maybe a hand got near the face, but this is football. This, you know, it, it's a contact sport. He initiated the contact. He was on the shoulder. If the hand slides up while these guys are moving, you've got to let it go. I'm sorry. You have to let it go. If he initiated it with the hand in the face, call it. But that hand was on the shoulder pad. If it slid up and grazed the face and you're calling that a penalty, I, I, I think you're ruining the game. No, and the calls they're making in terms of, um, you know, roughing the passer are ridiculous. I saw, I think Prescott a couple weeks ago, his, he literally got touched on the helmet and they called it 15 yards. <laughs> Barely had his helmet touched <laughs> and it was a 15-yard personal foul. They're ruining the game. Officiating and the commissioner's office are ruining the game of football. Of course, we saw a couple of years ago, Matt, Matt Patricia wearing a barstool sports shirt that had Roger Goodell with the clown nose. <laughs> and it seems that way nowadays. <laughs> so with that being said, my thoughts on this game, obviously I am PO'd. And I'm sure uh, JB saw that after I had chatted with him so that he would come on the show at midnight. Yeah. Oh, that... <laughs> I needed some time to get over that. That was for sure. But so now, now that we're now almost forty-eight hours after the incident, I can give a a rational opinion on this. And it was, oh, this was awful. <laughs> and it, I feel for Saints fans, and Saints fans probably feel for us. Um, a great way I feel, and because I'm I'm an EPL uh, European soccer watcher, so this could be a way to combat this. Uh, EPL and all those leagues have a thing called VAR, Video Assistant Referee. NFL kind of has this, but has doesn't have it fully. Uh, the refs, of course, buzz down when they feel that there is a there is a possible penalty that could be awarded to in inside the box for a kicker, for a free kick, uh, offside, etc. This could be where the NFL could go, and if they choose that way. That could really help out officials and their end calls. They could make and like for example, on a soccer offside, if they're unsure, they let the play go and see what happens and can review later. This is what happened to Detroit against Kansas City with a Bashad Breeland 100 yard return touchdown, which actually I felt was correct, even though it went against my team. They let the play go. They reviewed it later and saw that, yes, indeed, Breland was not touched. Now, the Kenny Galladay rule and, the T- and of course, the T.J. Hawkinson, Hawkinson catch, those I felt were missed, and those could, 
costed Detroit as well. A touchdown against Kansas City and what turned into four extra points against Green Bay, which could have helped Detroit win this football game. So as far as the hands-to-the-face call, uh, my Wisconsin buddy Alex Strofe, who you've pro- um, probably seen in different podcasts, uh, showed me a picture of Trey Flowers um, having his hand on Bakhtiari's face, and I'm like, okay, maybe one, but certainly not two. There, um, and, of course, the pass interference call that was missed. That was ticky-tacky as well. I think 10 years ago that wasn't called, but this year it probably should have been called. And, of course, the, yeah, that's not too. And the, and the, sec, and the one of the first plays of the second half where Tracy Walker was called for um, helmet to, to a, for helmet-to-helmet hit. There's really nothing he could do on that play. Allison's head was coming down as he was scooping up the ball, and Walker was diving for the ball. There's yep. no intent. Nope. <laughs> but anytime two helmets collide, someone's going to get a penalty. Excuse me a minute, Tom. And there is JB's doggo, as <laughs> JB saw my doggo. <laughs> so, yes, we are both, as, as if you didn't know now, we are both doggo people. JB is attending to his doggo right now as... Yep. as, <laughs> as oh, yeah, of course he decides right now he needs to be a pain in my rear. <laughs> hey, it happens to the best of us. So I'll go ahead and talk a, a little bit more about um, Detroit's upcoming thing. Okay, so JP, now JB is back with us. He must have sent his doggo out. What's your doggo's name? Pep. Pep, so um, if... If you're if you're a, if you're a soccer fan, kind of like Pep Guardiola, or if or if you like the NFL more, Pep Hamilton. <laughs> so that being said, how do the Vikings win this game Sunday? Uh, well, the one thing I I like for the Vikings is the Lions do not blitz a lot, so it's That's basically true. our offensive line versus your defensive line, straight up. Just the, the offensive line has to control the line of scrimmage. All they have to worry about is their assignments. They don't have to really worry about anybody coming on a blitz. Just pick up the guy in front of you and keep him out, keep him away from your quarterback. Number two, uh, the Lions like to play man-to-man defense. Now, they have a great secondary. I think the best way to beat that man-to-man is uh, you're going to have to go deep. You're going to have to throw deep. You're going to have to beat them deep. Uh, they, they do really well at containing containing guys on the underneath ball. Like, they tending to knock it out, but I watched a couple of deep balls thrown by Aaron Rodgers in that game where he, he had guys open, and he's throwing to a bunch of guys that, like I said in my podcast, they, their names look like their witness protection program guys. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's not a name on that out there, but they were they were finding ways. So um, when your matchup's at, at the wide receiver spots as well, uh, don't turn the ball over. Again, the simple thing. They've been playing really well. Kirk's got to be confident back there. When he's confident, he just lets it rip. Uh, One bad thing happens to Kirk, and you will see it. One bad thing he might get over. If a couple of things happen, you lose him. So you've you've just got to protect your quarterback, for God's sake. And the Vikings secondary, which is probably the most overrated secondary in the NFL, uh... They're they're living on names and they're not living on performance right now. They've got to they've got to step up their game. Mike Hughes has been really good. Uh, second year guy who missed most of last season with the ACL. He's actually been our best secondary guy. 
Harrison Smith is still a top-shelf defensive back, but good God. Trey Wayans makes me scared every week he steps on the field, and Xavier Rhodes is not the guy he used to be. If these guys don't show up, it could be a long day for the Vikings. Now, unfortunately, with a road that's under construction, at some point it has to reopen. Unfortunately, with Xavier Rhodes, that's becoming a reality. Yeah. <laughs> How do the Vikings win this game, in my opinion? is this is uh, They win this game defensively, honestly, because Detroit, and I have really haven't said this much at all, but Detroit's a good defensive team. Matt Patricia's a defensive coach, and they are proving that they can hold teams like the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers in check. I mean, look at you could argue you could argue that Patricia broke Mahomes because Mahomes has not won a game since leaving the dome <laughs> at Ford Field. So I think it's going to have to be a strong defensive performance, as well as um, you're going to have to go deep because the running Detroit has stalled the running game with the um, with the different rushers, and I think they can do that with Dalvin Cook. In fact, I, I really avoided Dalvin Cook in uh, DraftKings last week because I knew that the Eagles' run defense was going to be very strong, and it proved to be the case. So um, win defensively, go deep, and um, don't, I guess, yeah, don't depend on the run because if, if, if Detroit can lead the Vikings to depend on the run, then this could be, this could be a three-score game to Detroit. So now with that being said, how do the Lions beat the Vikings at Ford Field? You've got to run the. You've got to be able to run the ball against the Vikings, and that is a task and a half for a team that runs the ball a lot. Uh, the Lions have running back. They have a, a guy, and I don't know. They just don't seem to know how to use their running game, and and that's not Matt Patricia. This goes back a couple of years. Running backs come and go in Detroit, and they just don't know how to use them. Mm-hmm. If the Vikings can make, you know, if if the Vikings make the Lions one dimensional on Sunday, you guys can have a long day. Uh, if, yeah, run the football. Number two, uh, protect your quarterback. You do not have the most mobile quarterback in the NFL. He'll get through. He'll get outside every now and then, but quite honestly, he's not He's not mobile. You've got to protect him. If you don't protect him, it's going to be another long day. You're looking at Daniel Hunter will feast if you don't if you don't block him. And so will Pat. Yeah, and uh, – <laughs> uh, uh, Better pick up the blitz because our linebackers are really good. If you can protect your quarterback, give him time to throw, you will eat the Viking secondary alive. Mark my words. Stafford could have a 330-yard passing day against the Vikings this week. Uh, also, don't settle for field goals. Do not settle for field goals. Uh, granted, you lost on Monday night because of a questionable call, kind of. But you had six scoring drives and only one touchdown. One more of those is a touchdown, and that game is the Lions' win. So don't settle for field goals. You cannot, cannot settle for field goals. You have to put the ball in the end zone. That's been a problem with with Detroit for many years is not continuing to score in the second half. And I gave I it, um, and I will show you my uh, article that I wrote about the. Um, I, I usually I do recaps every week for the Scorecrow. And I gave special teams a lot of credit, but also it's kind—it's of, a double-edged sword. It's great that you're scoring, but you—but seven points are much more than three, unless you're a reverse mathematician. Then, 
things go crazy. So uh, seven points are a lot better than three. And if, if a couple of those field goals turn into seven points, then we're perhaps not even talking about ref officiating cause screwing the Lions over once again. So that's a very good point. So my three keys to a Lions victory, um, similar to the Vikings, it's got to be won defensively, win the turnover battle. Um, Detroit did win the turnover battle at Lambeau three field, three to nothing, but still lost the game, which <laughs> this that doesn't happen very often. So as I had said in my recap, hang in there, win the turnover battle. Uh, two, find find a way to run the ball because um, I'm one of the I'm one of the old school football guys. You got to manufacture touchdowns, run the football to win the ball game. If they can do that, then perhaps they could turn they could turn the Vikings front line into something that. <laughs> You have you probably don't want to see. And three, um, keep Kirk Cousins in check. Um, make Kirk Cousins the quarterback that he was in the first three weeks, rather than the last two. Um, and I guess I will say, make JB call out his own quarterback. There you go. <laughs> so. Oh, he's. Been, I've called him out already. He's been called out already by me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I have called out Kirk. I like him as a guy, but sometimes he really. No. Like I said, the last couple of weeks, uh, he has channeled his inner Dwight Schrute, which is what he needs to do. But, yeah, he, he is just way too skittish back there. He has been. But the last couple of weeks, he, he's just kind of let it rip, and we need to see more of that. But if you get inside Kirk's head, forget it. Game over. I'm seeing, I'm seeing an office meme right now in my head uh, with Kirk Cousins as Dwight. Kirk Cousins is the worst quarterback in the NFC North. False Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So with that being said, score predictions. Um, Vikings Lions. How does this go? I like the Vikings again. I hate to say this on the road, but I just feel that they have to eventually win a road game against a team in the division. And since this is the last one, I think they can do it. I think they're going in with a little momentum. Uh, Granted, the Lions are probably going to be really ticked off for this game, and it's a home game for them. I'm going to go 24-20 Vikings. I think Detroit is going to ride off of this pissed-off feeling, yep. and I think it's going to really help Detroit in the future because this team, this team is different than... The other teams that have gotten screwed over by officiating. This team worked through that against Kansas City and still only walked away with a seven-point loss. This team worked through it against Green Bay and unfortunately walked off with a one-point loss. I think that I think the tides change this week. Uh, Detroit gets a pissed-off victory over the Minnesota Vikings, uh, 20, uh, 20 to ten, low-scoring game. But I think I think Detroit I think Detroit's really mad and they're gonna show it at Ford Field this coming Sunday. Hopefully it doesn't result in a ton of penalties because that could be the that could be how Minnesota wins this game is that Detroit's pissed enough to where they take a lot of penalties and Minnesota takes advantage of it. Well, Detroit's penalties would be out of anger. The Vikings are just penalized out of stupidity a lot lately. I mean, if you the Vikings until last week had just been penalized in the secondary so often. The prior week against the Giants, they had five false start penalties. So it could come down to anger versus stupidity in the penalty battle. Very, very true. 
So with that being said, we move on to the heralded segment on the Tom Green Show, and that is the Rapid Fire Pick'em Picks. Now, of course, JB had to do a little studying on the college segment of this Pick'em, but I gave him 24 hours to study, kind of like the old game show cram. So he's yep. probably on red eyes right now after looking o- looking over those eight teams, studying the film and all that. Um, Pep had to bark at him quite a few times to go to bed. So, <laughs> Yeah, he's not being a good boy tonight, that's for sure. With that being said, we go to the SEC and a team that upset one of the college football playoff teams in South Carolina. We got Florida, South Carolina. Florida. I can't. I don't think South Carolina can do that again. Not back-to-back weeks. Florida. I like Florida in this game as well. It is at williams Bryce Stadium, so South Carolina does have the advantage there. But I think Florida is going to be very mad that they lost to a very good LSU team. LSU's got the thing that's been that's been haunting them for a few years is a quarterback with Joey yeah. Burrow. Florida has. Florida, Florida's a very good team. Give me Florida 27-17. South Carolina goes back to reality. Going to the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington. I like the Ducks. I did my I did look at the, the Ducks seem to have Washington's number. I'm gonna go with the Ducks keeping that. You like Justin Herbert, the number one quarterback prospect in this NFL draft over Washington. Yeah. It's in Seattle which makes me want to pick Washington, but frankly, Oregon could be the um, Pac-12's only chance at the college football playoff, and I will also pick Oregon in this one close, 24-21 over Washington. Just like last year in Eugene, walk-off field goal for Oregon. Uh, Going to the Big 12, where Frank defense, frankly, doesn't exist. Baylor, Oklahoma State. I could see like Oklahoma State winning this in triple overtime, 61-58, you know. <laughs> I, I'm going to take the Cowboys in this one. I, I, I just I, I think it's going to be a major shootout because you're right. Only Oklahoma plays any defense in that conference to, as far as I can tell right now. So in that one, that one's a tough one because Baylor is ranked for the for, for the seemingly the well the second week since all of this Art Bryles investigation scandal, which, of course, every, everybody was let go from that. Matt Rule has definitely given the team the rules on that um, on that staff. And um, at Boone Pickens Stadium, it's tough to go against Oklahoma State in that one as well. Give me a shootout, 51-47, Oklahoma State. And this one... This one had the highest line, but it became ranked versus ranked, so I threw it in the rapid-fire segment. Arizona State and Utah. I like the Utes. I think Arizona State's going to come back to reality in this one. I like the Utes. And, you know, Utah is all of a sudden, I don't want to say a powerhouse, but they're they're a known commodity now in college football. Even Peppa Grease. He agrees. He's all about it. He's all about the Utah Utes, that Pep is. Good good boy, even though he might not be so good for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm a big Herman Edwards fan. Um, as I've said in the podcast before, you play to win the game. Yep. <laughs> Hello? 
You play to win the game. If you don't want to play to win, just retire. Just go retire. It's at Utah, but you, Utah, Utah is always good for nine and three. They always, it's like Washington State with Mike Leach. They always lose a game when they're in the biggest of brightest lights. They always lose big. Even though this is at Rice-Eccles Stadium, I think Arizona State is the most underrated team in all of college football, even though they're ranked 18th. Give me the Sun Devils. 27-24 walk-off field goal that um, sends the nation to thinking this Arizona State team might take Oregon's playoff spot if Oregon's not careful. Nice. <laughs> Moving to the NFL, to which JB has probably spent about 30 minutes of his 24 hours of studying <laughs> on, <laughs> the AFC South, which I feel is the toughest division in football to pick, Houston and Indy. Houston, I, I'm I'm actually on the Houston bandwagon. Uh, I like what they're doing in Houston. I'm a big Bill, I'm a Bill O'Brien guy, so I'm going with Houston. And Pep is also a Bill O'Brien guy, as, yes, as will as we can tell. Um, AFC South divisional games, like you said, are the toughest to pick in football because you just don't know who wins every week. Even NFC North is not as tough because it seems like the home team wins that. But in this one, give me Houston as well. The Colts are a good team. They beat Kansas City on the road. So this will not be a walk in the park for Deshaun Watson and Houston. Give me the Texans 24-17 in overtime. I think this goes OT at Lucas Oil Stadium. Chargers and Tennessee. This is kind of one of those do we really have to games. Um, I think the Chargers are win only because Tennessee's offense is so bad. Ryan, if Ryan Tannehill is the answer, I want to know what the question is. <laughs> um, I think the Chargers are just due to win a game. Uh, we talked. I talked a little bit on Twitter about this stuff. The Chargers are that team. This is what happens. Phillip Rivers ends up falling behind by 17 or more points every week. And then he's got to scramble to get his team back in the game in the second half. And then they cut it to a score, and then he throws an interception that ends the comeback. That's what, but not this week. I think the Chargers finally win one from wire to wire. <laughs> I, if Tennessee wins this, I I could see your name on Twitter being changed from John B. to Alex Trebek because if Brian Tannehill is the answer, even I want to know what the question really is. Now, the Chargers have to be embarrassed by what happened on their home turf last week. Granted, they cut it to one possession, but that felt like a game at Heinz Field rather than Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, which, frankly, Johnny Carson would have been a better name for that park than <laughs> Dignity Health Sports Park, but it's still not the worst. Guaranteed Rate Field is the worst name of a park in all of sports, and it's because the arrow is pointing down. <laughs> Guaranteed Rate Field, yeah. It's like, why? I've been to that park before. It's like, why? <laughs> With that being said, I think the Chargers do win this game, um, twenty-seven to seventeen. Um, and I, I'd actually fired up a post on um, 
Twitter, I think I tagged you, and it was um, which coach was on the hot seat. And Vrabel, I believe, only got one vote <clears throat> in that poll, and it was because it had Dan Quinn and Jason Garrett. But <clears throat> I think the I think the calls for Vrabel's head get even hotter after this week. Chargers, like I said, twenty-seven seventeen. Um, that that being said, with rapid with those games, I try to keep it to a two and a half point spread, but. Uh, this one, I think, was three or three and a half to try to get eight games in there. You get good games and you get crap games. That was yep. a crap game. This one yep. coming up is a good game. Saints, the Mike Ditka Bowl. Saints, Bears. Bears had a week off after a very unexpected loss on the road in over across the pond. In the um, then across the pond. But uh, they're still without a quarterback. And granted, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if Breeze has been cleared yet, but I know he's been throwing. Even if this is a week without Breeze, Bridgewater, I think, is a better quarterback than Chase Daniel. Now, I again, Trubisky, I think, might play. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think it's questionable. Um, but I don't think he's a great quarterback. I'm going to go with the Saints continuing to roll with, with Teddy at the quarterback. Teddy or, or Breeze, whoever's behind Center, I'm going to say the Saints win again. Their defense is brutal. Brutal. Dennis Allen has got them playing good defense, in which a few years ago we would not have associated Saints in defense and defense in the same sentence. Now we do. Um, in this game, this one, oh, this, this one's going to be a bloodbath, and Ditka's going to be there not knowing who to root for, even though he took the 85 Bears to win a Super Bowl. Uh, in Chicago, give me the Bears by a field goal because even though their offense has been a problem, their kicking hasn't. Um, and I think it proves to be the difference in this one. But what the Saints have done, Sands Breeze, has been nothing short of phenomenal. Credit to Sean Payton. Credit to that defense. Um, but I think Chicago's defense is just that much better. But... We'll see what happens. This is going to be a low-scoring game. Give me the Bears 10-7. You might want to pick a defense if you're playing DraftKings on this one, which I know that um, JB is not a fantasy football guy, but still, um, it's his fantasy for the Vikings to win a Super Bowl. So I just turned him back into a fantasy football guy. Definitely is. <laughs> Last one, uh, Sunday night, uh, Eagles, Cowboys. Two teams who really, I mean, I thought the Eagles were on the upswing until they came into Minnesota and got their heads handed to them last week. The Cowboys look like they're in a tailspin. Um, I'm taking the Eagles. I just think the Eagles are playing a little bit better right now. Even last week, they managed to come within four points before they just ran out of gas. Dallas looks like a mess out there right now. I mean, if you make Dak Prescott beat you, you can beat the Cowboys. He's going to get paid a lot of money to be a middle-of-the-road quarterback. And I will continue to say that about Prescott, and everybody says, yeah, but look, he got off to a great start this year. Yeah, against the Redskins and the Giants, he put up big numbers. Uh and he threw for 400 yards against the Packers after they were so far behind, all they could do was throw the ball. This team lives and dies by Zeke. This is, I think, the first time 
or one of the few times where Zeke has rushed for over 75 yards and they lost. If Zeke doesn't run for 75 yards, that team loses. And it is proven that they lose if he doesn't run. If he doesn't play or he doesn't run for 75 yards, they lose. If the Eagles can contain him, they'll beat the, they'll beat the Cowboys by 10 points. Oh, JB has seen that I have littered Twitter and Facebook with Cowboys memes, and I love it. <laughs> oh, Dak, I'm scared. We're playing a real team. I know, I'm scared too, baby. <laughs> it's not a logo. It's a rating. <laughs> the one-star Cowboys. <laughs> Philadelphia has got a great run defense, as if you listen to the show with Ryan Drinkwater from Philly. We, we, definitely, we definitely looked at that as JB is letting his dog out or not. But, we'll, but Pep is definitely wanting to chime in about Zeke and Philly's run defense. Um, if, like, like JB had said, if, if Zeke is held under 75 yards, they lose. Philly's run defense is pretty damn good. And even though EDP is not very confident, I'm not sure if you've seen EDP stuff, he's nuts. <laughs> but if if um, Zeke is held under 75, and I think he will be, the Eagles win this game, and the Cowboys are in trouble. <laughs> and we've seen the meme, just checking in to see if they still them boys with three quarterbacks' heads like, eh, eh? <laughs> Philly 27, Cowboys 10. Not only do Philly wins, I think they win impressively. Running away, yeah. So, with that being said, our rapid-fire segment complete. As always, the famed final question is, is there anything else you have to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? No, I appreciate the time. I apologize for, for the dog tonight. He, uh, <laughs> he is not in a good mood for whatever reason. It's uh, all right. I appreciate you help letting talk about my book and my podcast. One yes. other thing, and these guys really sure. are great, so I want to give them a little bit of shout-out. Uh, Blitz Football, I write for Blitz Football as well. My latest piece is up for them. It's about coaching uh, guys who coach for at least three years with one team and failed miserably, but <laughs> it took three years to get fired amidst all the, uh, the Jay Gruden firing and Dan Quinn, who's – career is on life support with the with the Falcons. So if you would really try and support these guys at Blitz Football, uh, take a look at their website and not only me, but there's you know, all the guys who write for them do a great job. So we really would appreciate if you take a take the time to read some of our stuff. Uh, we think you'll like it. Definitely. It's been a great show and of course, um Maybe my own dog might have to give some of his own commentary at some podcast <laughs> points. So he is JB and Pep at Mike Zimmer's ears, even though he does, his ears aren't actually the property of Mike Zimmer's. <laughs> and this is the Tom Green Podcast.